0: Hey, guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Start your twenty twenty four off-right with some new clothes from Leon Tailoring, something new, something tailor-made, something ready-made, or something custom-made. they got the finest in men's and ladies' apparels, and they also take care of you as well. They've been around for almost a hundred years and some change, and don't stick around that long unless you're getting it right. So get on over to Leon Tailoring, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Well, we'll continue our conversation with various public officials in and across the state of Indiana. Today, we're fortunate to talk to Ryan Mears, American County Prosecutor. So, Ryan Mears, Ryan, my friend, uh, first of all, Happy New Year. And how's how things been?
1: Happy New Year. It's great to be here. And you didn't introduce me as your favorite prosecutor, so I'm a little
0: disappointed. <laughs> but uh, always good to see you. Uh, well, my favorite prosecutor is a guy back in Illinois. So, but, but you come a very close second uh, here here in the state of Indiana. So how things been in the prosecutor's office lately?
1: Well, we've had a great year. You know, when when you kind of take a look at everything that we were able to accomplish, uh, we went to trial 43 times on murder cases. Uh, we won 39 of those cases. Uh, and in addition to that, if you look at uh, the what t- types of cases we were trying, the, the most tried cases were murder, child molesting, battery, domestic battery, and, and serious violent felon cases, which is where the community wants our priorities to be. Uh, so for me, it demonstrates on the trial side, we're focusing on the pro- the appropriate issues, the, the serious crimes, and, and then. You know, in terms of our work out in the community, we're continuing to try to move the ball forward, uh, help build that trust uh, through our second chance fairs, working on the expungement process to get more and more people uh, into the job market, and also make sure that they can get housing because uh, we've seen a lot of people. That that's one of the biggest impediments to them moving forward with their life, and also doing our work on driver's licenses and helping people you know clear out th- those fees so they can drive on the the, the road legally. So uh, we feel good about what we're doing, but we also know that there's much work to be done.
0: Uh, one things we keep hearing about our are- plea agreements. Uh there was a case just recently a woman shot her boyfriend on a parking lot. Uh, But she was out on a plea agreement. First of all, explain to our audience how plea agreements actually work.
1: So the the biggest thing is it's it's an agreement between the parties. And and oftentimes that's a reflection of a number of different factors. Sometimes uh, a case is resolved because it's in the best interest of both parties. Uh, For the first time, I think in a a long time, we had 15 people last year plead guilty to murder. Uh, The lead charge of murder, which is the highest that we've had in a long time. uh, And that's oftentimes a reflection of the strength of that case. And, and so, uh, you know, plea agreements happen for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they happen because the state has a really good case, like in those 15 murder cases where people pled guilty to murder. In uh, other times you have witness issues uh, or in other situations, maybe you have uh, situations where you talk to the victim and, and the victim, maybe their perspective has changed and, and they'll say, hey, uh, this is what I would like to see come out of this particular case. And this is why I'd like to see that. So there's a lot of different discussions with a lot of different parties involved. There's no one. One reason as to why a case gets resolved uh, to a plea agreement, uh, but it's certainly uh, an essential part of the criminal justice system.
0: Uh, one thing we hear is sort uh, of repeat offenders sort of back out on the streets. <clears throat> I want to say the last time I looked uh, with IMPD stats, uh, like seventy percent of the uh, the murder suspects, like almost eighty percent of the victims, all had prior adult felonies, either crime against a person, uh, drug related, or, or or some other sort of type of felony. Uh, how do you, how do we deal with that revolving door related issue? Well, I think the, the first
1: part is, and, and I knew you were going to bring that up, so I have the, okay. those stats right here. Uh, 33% of the people that uh, we charged with murder last year, this was their first criminal offense, meaning they had no criminal history. Uh, and I think we charged 194 individuals, and 33% of those individuals, their first exposure to the criminal justice system uh, was this was a murder charge. Uh, if you add those who don't have violent histories, the number is actually 66%. And so what we are seeing now is a lot of first-time situations where people are for the first time being exposed to the criminal justice system. It is January 18th and i think we've had 13 or 14 homicides and of those six of them are under consideration for self-defense meaning was the person who fired the shots were they acting in self-defense and so what we're seeing more and more is we're seeing a lot more self-defense cases and we're also seeing uh way more individuals their first kind of into the criminal justice system is uh unfortunately a murder
0: charge we're talking to marion county prosecutor ryan Mayer about uh criminal justice here uh in marion county uh why is it that some people are so quick to you know you know back in our back in our day that sounded like the old guy you know you, you went out you had into a fight you dust each other off and call it a day now these people are just oh, almost not only so much quick to shoot each other but also a lot more women uh, in that as well. No, the the, the if, if you look at the the demographics and the numbers it's
1: it's changed over the course of the last couple of years we're seeing more women and we're seeing more young people and it goes to that issue of people just aren't resolving things uh, you know maybe what would have been resolved through fisticuffs is now being resolved with someone pulling a trigger and you know I think a lot of it has to do with the availability of firearms uh, people are angry they're upset and they're, they have a gun that that's readily accessible and people are using those firearms uh, but that's really been a change that we've seen here probably in the last 18 months. I I think as it relates to young people, the thing that has fundamentally changed for us is is the ease or access for young people to get guns. Uh, Our number one most filed case out in the juvenile court is dangerous possession of a firearm, meaning a young person with a gun. Uh, And so it's a real issue that we are continuing to work on, Uh, but we have to acknowledge the fact that uh, guns are far too accessible to too many people.
0: Uh, How do you deal with a gun issue also maintaining, protecting people's Second Amendment rights—you know, protect themselves, defend themselves but how do you, how do we keep guns out of the hands of bad guys?
1: I think that's what everybody's struggling with is is what's the what's the appropriate way to do that. And I think the the change for law enforcement is before they could be way more proactive. Uh, if you saw somebody uh, with a firearm, uh, I think law enforcement felt comfortable with what steps that they could take. Uh, now I think there there's some concern about that uh, in terms of who's a prohibited person, who's not a prohibited person, and, and so I think law enforcement is, is trying to adjust to kind of the the new uh, legal situation that we now find ourselves in where the vast majority of people are able to carry a firearm in public and so how does that impact proactive policing? How does that impact law enforcement's ability to respond to some of these scenes when they pull somebody over? What are they going to encounter? And I think that's something that everybody is is trying to work through and, and try to figure out at, at this particular point. Uh, I met with Chief Bailey today and we were talking about this very topic and we're still taking guns off the street. Uh, IMPD took 5000 guns off the street last year. 5,000. That is a significant number of firearms, and you know, the the good thing that I can tell the the, the public is those 5,000 guns are tested. We're linking them up to non-federal shootings. We're linking them up to to unsolved homicides, Uh, but that's an astronomical number, and I think it speaks to how readily available firearms are to so many people in our community.
0: And also, uh, how are we doing with with respect to juvenile crimes? Because you mentioned juvenile crimes. This is where we've seen some of our biggest increase, not only uh, and juvenile crimes, also juvenile homicides.
1: I mean, that's unfortunately an area where, as I mentioned before, our number one filed charge in juvenile court is dangerous possession of a firearm. Meaning, it is a young person less than 18 years of age who has a gun. Uh, we just see it far, far too often, uh, and and so I think one of the things that we need to work on is how can we partner up with law enforcement and be more proactive, working with young people to 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 help keep those guns out of people's hands. Uh, but I think the second part of it too is you know we have to work on some of these systematic issues that make cool for kids to have a gun and also you know, do kids feel like they need a gun for protection uh, I was at Tech High School the other day and talking to some of the students and one of the things that they talked about was uh, I didn't want a gun but everybody else had one so I felt like I needed one how, how do we get away from that mentality how do we get away from that mindset uh, how can we stop the flow of firearms to, to young people is something that, that everybody is very much focused on but I think that for us there's no question there's an enforcement side of that uh, we've unfortunately had to prosecute a number of kids as adults for dangerous possession of a firearm uh, but the second part of that is we have to continue to be proactive and not just reactive to give kids the confidence to walk away from these confrontations and understand that gun violence is not the solution to their problems uh, that's much easier said than done I know you're a teacher you get to, to work with young people all the time uh, but we need to really work on that message and make sure that we're giving kids the tools the confidence and the resources uh, to to not pick up a gun and be able to turn away from some of these confrontations that result in gun violence.
0: We're talking to Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Myers about uh, criminal justice here uh, in Marion County. Uh, you talk about uh, some of the things you talk about being proactive. Uh, what are some of the proactive things that the office has done? So, you know, a couple of the things that
1: I'm excited that we're working on right now is working on this issue of, of kids with gun violence. And, and so it's partnering up with the schools and having these conversations and then also talking to the kids about what is a message that will resonate for you guys? How can we create a message that's going to respond to you? And so the kids are really driving this conversation uh, that we're able to help people, hopefully uh, not pick up those guns. Uh, and, you know, we want to be continue to be proactive in that area. I think the other part of it, too. Two is we just need to continue to make sure that we're making investments in the people that we serve. Uh, we need to continue to be out in the community and say these are the things that we can do to help right here right now. Uh, there's a lot of kids who are going through really difficult circumstances and when we encounter them we need to be saying okay what's what's causing, what's driving the criminal behavior uh, and a lot of times it's, it's bad adults candidly. They're around bad adults who are not providing good leadership good mentorship and they've got abuse issues, they've got addiction issues, they've got mental health issues inside the home, and that's going to affect the kid. And so for us, it's, all right, how can we get that child, number one, maybe out of that house? Or number two, how can we help get resources that'll allow that child to better deal with kind of their reality? Because a lot of kids are, we put in really tough circumstances. And and so that's, we want to make sure we're taking a, a more intelligent approach when we encounter someone in the criminal justice system. How can we have a bigger impact on that person's circumstance if that circumstance, Circumstances kind
0: of driving the behavior. Uh, speaking of young people, uh, the old the old thing is that, that uh when you talk about young people, you can't talk about young people, you talk about sort of gangs and juvenile violence. Now I was gonna say a gang is more like a family. It's a family that the kid doesn't have at home, which is why kids join gangs. Uh how are we doing, how is Mary kind of deal with its gang? gang issues?
1: You know, Marion County is, I, I feel like is a little bit different because we don't have the, the traditional gangs with infrastructure that maybe you see in other cities. You're, you don't necessarily hear about uh, kind of the the, the, the the vice lords or whoever being being involved in, in activities. But what we do have is, is kids in neighborhoods who very clearly uh, are associated with one another, but maybe don't have the traditional hierarchy or structure that you would see uh, or it's commonly associated with gangs. And so I think it's a little bit of a, of a different approach because it's kids whose common connection are, are, is usually geography. Uh, sometimes it's it's music or something along those lines. But there's no question that those groups can uh, lead to violence or promote violence. And we see a lot of that on social media. And and so I think one of the things that, that uh, has improved here lately is we have better relationships with the schools. Uh, they're giving a ton of information to both IMPD and our office when there are social media issues out there to make sure that uh, we are doing the things that we can do to assist to get people search warrants uh, on social media uh, platforms so we can get that information and be more proactive in terms of what our response is going to be. Uh, the challenge is the Internet's a big place, and it's a tough area to police. Uh, but I feel uh, very encouraged by the, the progress that uh, IMPD has made and that we have made with the relationships with the schools and, and better understanding uh, that this is where we're going to have to address some of these juvenile issues. Uh, the great thing about kids is they love leaving a digital footprint. They love putting it on Instagram. They love talking about it. And so it's just up to us to make sure that we find that information and then build cases where we can ultimately mount a successful prosecution.
0: Has social media a major job? Uh, easier or more difficult or both We'll, well, both. I mean, I, you know, I
1: I prosecuted my first murder case in 2009 or 2010, and it was very much a guy walking into a courtroom saying that guy did it. Uh, now that's not what our murder cases look like. Uh, as I mentioned before, we only lost uh, three murder cases this year. And I'd love to say it's because we have the greatest prosecutors in the world, which I think we do. But a lot of it is social media. Uh, people are posting about what they're doing. They're creating digital footprints in terms of where they are, where they were going, who they were talking to. And so if we're we're able to really narrow in on somebody uh, and then we start doing search warrants on phones, on different social media platforms. Uh, we can usually put people at the scene and we can also recreate timelines really well. Uh, and like I said, this this younger generation, they, they want to memorialize everything they do, both good and bad. And and so we're able to solve a lot of cases and successfully prosecute a lot of cases uh, because people can't help but bragging about it online. And we're able to get that information. And, and so in that Since it has made our job easier the challenge is the internet is the great equalizer in terms of if you want to get your hands on a firearm it's really easy Uh, if you want to get your hands on drugs it's really easy before you used to have to kind of know somebody now you don't Uh, you just have to have access to the internet which pretty much everybody does and so because of that uh, it has been uh, an incredible equalizer in terms of giving kids access to things we don't want them to get their hands on like guns and drugs.
0: Ryan is with us for a few minutes on the program today. Uh, Let's change it a little bit, uh, child support. How are we doing with child support enforcement? So child support is one of those those
1: ongoing issues and challenges. And, and I, I, I hope people appreciate the, the the impact that we have as, as it relates to child support. Uh, you know, our office collects well over $100 million every single year uh, in, in terms of being able to collect child support for non-custodial parents, uh, for custodial parents. And, you know, we find ourselves in court every single day trying to uh, hold people accountable in terms of making sure that they're paying their, their child support obligations. Uh, the other part of it that I'm proud of is we're getting more people to pay into the system. Uh, it doesn't do us any good if people have all this arrearage and and they're not making any, uh, contribution. And so one of the things that we're evaluated federally is how many people do you have paying into the system? And I'm proud to say that we've increased the number of people who are participating. And because we've increased the number of people who are participating, we've also increased the amount of revenue that we've been able to bring, uh, to parents who are trying to raise their kids. Uh, so child support, I think is something that's often overlooked, uh, where we've, we've got a great team who works really hard on those issues. Uh, I have to give a lot of credit to, to Judge Amper Collins. She's been a great partner on some of these issues and making sure that everybody's working together to, to make the process uh, go as smoothly as it can. It's certainly not perfect, uh, but we're making tremendous
0: strides. Uh, what about the world realm of driver's licenses? Those uh, so guys put a news release out recently about uh, driver's licenses and reinstatements. Yeah. Uh, a big thing for me is you know we need to
1: make sure that we're doing everything we can to, to reduce barriers for people um, you know for me if your driver's license is suspended because you've got three DUIs or you're involved in a couple of accidents that, that that's not who we're trying to help but there are a lot of people in our community whose driver's license is suspended because they didn't have the money to pay a ticket and then as a consequence they get pulled over now they're driving while suspended and it just kind of snowballs from there those are the individuals that we want to work with and help uh, because I've been amazed at the number of people where that driver's license is what's standing between them and a job uh, and so I'm a big believer if we we get people working if we get people into housing i'm not going to see them in the criminal justice system again and so that's why we put so much energy and effort into that particular issue uh, you know we've literally reinstated thousands of people's driver's licenses uh, where they're able to drive on the road now with insurance uh, which is obviously important to all of us and are they're now employed they're able to get to their jobs which i think ultimately uh, improves the city
0: uh final question for you my friend uh a while back uh before you ran for public office um, your uh, the marijuana issue, how's all that going here in Marion County? I, I, I ask because I'm interested. <laughs> I, I was I was going to be disappointed if you didn't ask uh, <laughs> uh, about marijuana uh, no it,
1: it, it's one of those things that, that we made the decision to not prosecute that and it's been a great decision uh, you know if, if you look at our crime lab right now uh, they are literally backed up months if, if you get pulled over on, on a DUI uh, it's going to take a little while before we get the blood results back and the reason for that is is just like everybody else they're they're overburdened they're doing a great job with the resources that they have but there's delays there, uh, if we added all of the marijuana in Marion County to the crime lab's backlog, we would never get anything done, uh, and and so it's just really it, it's been a huge relief to, to the crime lab. It's been a huge relief to the criminal justice system, and it sent a positive message to the community that we're going to focus on what's truly important. Is uh, I want to sit here and tell you how many people I convicted of murder. I don't want to sit here and talk about uh, how many convicted you know people we convicted of, of, of marijuana, and you know to all my my friends out there who always says government needs. To run like a business. Uh, I hope people appreciate that, uh, you know, if you pull someone over for uh, weed and you've got a dime bag of marijuana, I mean, you're literally talking thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars to prosecute that when you consider law enforcement's time, the prosecutor's office time, judicial time, the crime lab time, and all of a sudden, what is $10 worth of marijuana is now $10,000 in costs. That's not a very good return on our investment. And we want to make sure we're using our resources in a way that, that most benefit the community
0: so what uh, what do you guys have
1: uh, in store for this year? Well, so we're, we're excited to, to continue to work on our youth violence prevention programs. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge focus for our office, and we need to continue our success in the courtroom. Uh, you know, we've seen a, a, an uptick in, in terms of our conviction rate as it relates to homicide cases and our jury trials as a whole. Uh, I'm a trial attorney by nature. I love being in the courtroom. I want our prosecutors to be in the courtroom prosecuting these types of matters. Uh, we just had five guilty verdicts last week, including two two homicides, and so we want to make sure that we're continuing uh, how active we've been uh, in the courtroom and, and bring justice to uh, the people who have been affected by violent crime.
0: All right. American Prosecutor Ryan Mears, always good to talk to my friend. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.